Hello and welcome to Running With Problems. I'm John Eisen. And I'm Miranda Williamson. Running With Problems is a podcast about the challenges we face as runners, from navigating our bodies, dealing with social dynamics, and facing personal trauma. Miranda, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited about this um, episode because I just left it feeling so um, full, I guess is the right word. I feel like um, this guest was really vulnerable and it was a really beautiful conversation and I really felt um, proud of our work here with on this pod and really proud of our guest for being able to show up in the way that she did. Yeah, we had Courtney Boyle on of Lakewood, Colorado. She is an ultra runner and a mother and uh, her story is super powerful. Uh, she lost her son in... Um, Suddenly. Sudden accident, and he, uh, and his loss really sparked her getting into ultra running. And we talk a lot about grief. We talk about how running can be an aid in that grief, whether partially or completely. We talk about the journey through the grief, yeah. uh, which she is still on, and I am still on. And you are still on, right? We are all on this journey. And I think this was a great interview where we explored the various stages and uh, impacts that they have. This was truly a running with problems episode. Truly. Um, And so it's a little heavy at points. We also keep a lightness to it. I think we all um, connected to one another really well as human beings. And there is a bit of lightness to it but it's a heavy topic yeah so take care of yourself before you dive into this this episode yeah if you're recently dealing with grief feel free to skip this one and come back to it when you're ready it's or if you're dealing with grief and you want to hear a new conversation a new take on the conversation about grief this might be the episode for you i know when i was going through the depths of my grief i wanted to know how people dealt with it, how they got to the other side. Yeah. And it turns out that, you know, dealing with it's just a constant process. And, uh, yeah, I hope y'all enjoy our exploration of Courtney Boyle. But we're going to do a quick check-in before we dive into the episode. Well, right before that, I do want to mention, in the episode, we do not mention this, and I wanted to bring it up. Mm. Courtney has started a fund Uh, to support children with ADHD. Her child she lost, Teddy Bruce, uh, had severe ADHD. And we want to mention this fund. It's called the Teddy Bruce Fund for ADHD. We will have a link to it in the show notes. If you are interested in donating or reaching out, uh, the fund helps work with uh, kids with ADHD to get treatment as well as testing uh, for kids that don't have access to testing. Yeah. And we think, it, I mean, I have ADHD. My brother who died had ADHD. This is really close to my heart as well. So I really want to encourage our listeners to check out the fund and uh, donate if they can or yeah. or see if they can help. And Courtney talks, uh, actually, I don't know if she talks about it in the episode. Actually, I think we talked about it offline. We talked about it afterwards. afterwards, yeah. But when um, John talks about treatment, it's really amazing um, therapists that would not only support the child in their journey, but support the parents in how they navigate that, the, um, raising that child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, really? it's a it's a two way. Yeah. In order, I think in order to we should probably have an episode on ADHD. In order to really, I think to fully come around with ADHD, whether that you're as a child or as an adult, it's about using the ADHD as an empowerment and and working to see what ADHD gives to that person, not just what it takes away yeah. and what it makes us different. Um, that's much harder with children, of course, and it involves so much work with the parents. But um, that's what I would like to see in the conversation about ADHD at large. And uh, maybe in season three, we'll have a ADHD episode. Also, yeah. quick Summit check-in. Summit did really good this episode. <laughs> Minimal only... interruptions and distractions. Yes. So for anybody keeping track, Summit was good this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Gold star this episode. <laughs> yeah. And a little bit of uh, business. We are going to take a break in December uh, and end season two. This is our final episode of season two. We want to thank you all for supporting us in this, our first year of running with the problems. We have been on a journey of discovery about what this podcast is and what we want to talk about. And if you have suggestions about the content you enjoyed during season one, season two, like, please let us know, reach us out to us. We want to know what you enjoyed so we can help make more content like that. Yeah. What we're thinking about for season three, again, we'd love your input on this, but we would, what we're thinking about is um, themes that we want to explore and then finding guests to talk about those particular themes. And I think we mix in, of course, like super interesting guests, but with a theme, you know, somebody like Courtney, um, is so has such a powerful story that's worth sharing and worth investigating. And I would like to see interviews like hers continue in the future. Oh, but the theme of that one is definitely how you um, run through grief, run with grief. Yeah. We approached this interview with a, you know, we definitely had a topic we wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. We wanted to introduce the person, but we, we came to that topic after meeting Courtney. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And we're thinking about being more a little more strategic and maybe thinking of some themes ahead of time. And we want to know yeah. what, what you want. What themes do you want to hear? And we can go out and find really interesting guests to explore those themes with us. Yeah. You know, things like motivation, uh, you know, leading communities, ADHD. <laughs> like, uh, we've obviously talked to two adaptive uh, one one athlete that supports an adaptive athlete a lot and one athlete that is an adaptive athlete. Um, so we've talked about like a lot of very interesting things. Inclusion, I think we could do more on inclusion and diversity. Absolutely. But if you have ideas, um, whether that's interviews or just topics or the style of podcasts you enjoyed, please let us know. Reach out to us at Running With Problems on Instagram. Yep. Yeah. We want to hear from you. We want this to be a community-led um, podcast. Yes. Yes. As we go into year two. So look for us in January. Uh, yeah. And now we're going to do a quick check-in. So Miranda, what's up? (laughs) I am doing really good. I feel, um, like I've had a lot of great social time with some powerful women in my life who I just love spending time with. Mm. Great run with my girls on Saturday. Um, really 
feeling full and ready to go into this holiday and drink lots of wine and celebrate. Nice. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I recently had some bad news about my dad. Um, I'm not sure if he's made it public at the time of this podcast release, so I will not make it public, even though I don't like keeping secrets, but this is his news, so I will uh, keep it secret. Um, but that news has really caused some, uh, a lot of feelings in me, yeah. and I, it, it was actually kind of hard to operate for a few days. But I've come to I've come to a place of uh, settling, uh, yeah. balance with those feelings and emotions, and just trying to challenge them and figure out where they're coming from. So it's been a little bit difficult. Um, training's been going well. It was a little hard during this short period recently, but oh, that's our that's our oven. Apologies. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's been up and down. I I yeah. felt like I was really getting to a good spot. Like I had finally like come back to training and I'm getting over this like injury that plagued my summer and and my my headspace was getting really good and then and then this happened and so I've had to had to restart yeah. rebuild come back to a good place and we're traveling down to see my family for Thanksgiving which will of course involve a lot of difficulty and emotions uh and so I will do my best to show up well for my family and be there for my family that needs me and hopefully take enough um, time for myself. So, yeah. And um, John's aunt, Cricket. Oh, yeah, Cricket. Is an amazing cook. Yeah, we're going down. I'm so excited for her food. Yeah, we're going down to Jeff and Cricket's house and they're going to make Thanksgiving dinner. Miranda's going to make pumpkin pie. From a pumpkin. Yes, which was wild to my family (laughs) it's my thing it's my thing I like to make a pumpkin pie every Thanksgiving it's actually started by my brother's wife I'd never liked pumpkin pie and my brother's wife Cindy made pumpkin pie from a pumpkin and it was the best thing I ever had ex-wife Cindy ex-wife no Cindy current wife current wife oh okay shows how much I know Sally's ex-wife okay can't keep track. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. So one of the reasons we're taking December off, other than to just like give ourselves some emotional space and think about what we want to do with season three of this podcast, is I get to do Advent of Code, which is yeah. a 25-day coding challenge. Uh, on It's called Advent of Code. It's public. It's really fun. Uh, it's, it's always themed about elves or some reindeer or something. But it's coding problems, and uh, yeah, if you're into coding, I, I highly recommend you check out Advent of Code. I've, it's really, really enjoyable to do, and uh, yeah, so I'm pretty stoked about that, and uh, yeah, I think that's everything for me. All right. I think we've given some great updates. Yeah. So we will see you in the new year. Without further ado, here is Courtney Boyle. a guest we've never met before so we're asterisk oh asterisk yeah john tell the story oh yes uh in 2021 we met uh while running the westline winder while i was suffering miranda was running well like an hour ahead of us 
And, uh, and I met you, Courtney Boyle. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's so great to be here. This is a true story. <laughs> what do you remember? You remember meeting John? I do. I think I remember your hat mostly. Like you had some really cool hat. Oh, I had hat the with run like hat. With maybe like a flip brim. No, like no, no. It was no. a it was a run hat. It just oh, yes. said run. run. <laughs> That's all it said it, in giant bold letters. Yeah, it was so good. And I think the hat is what like drew me in to like start a conversation. Oh, this guy's like this guy likes running. He's, he's legit a runner. <laughs> <laughs> he has the run hat. Yeah. yeah. I wore that hat for a long time. That was a good hat. Uh-huh. That that race was um, harder than it appeared. I agree. Yes. Uh-huh. I thought I was gonna do really well, and while you I did, I did you beat us <laughs> by quite a bit. But I still felt terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was hot that day, and the race ended. With the like the last seven miles were on this like really up and down yes. pump track. Like we're talking like hundred foot little mini hills, right? Uh huh. And it was really hard to run when you were at the end of a 50k yeah people asked me after the race what it was like and I was like well it has a really a fitting name it is really like windy and like the winder for sure it felt like you're going around and around and up and down and over and then it was yeah it was difficult they have changed the course a bit so that you end they flipped the beginning and the end oh so okay you so when we started we were on like two miles of a pumpy trail and then like four or five miles of road mm-hmm. and then and then at the end we were running seven miles of pumpy trail so they flipped that so you start on the seven miles of pumpy mm-hmm. trail and now you end with mostly road oh. and they took away the the terrible winding through the uh what was it the disc golf course do you remember that yep uh-huh. at the very end yeah. oh that yeah. was terrible yeah uh-huh. Because you, like, are so close. You can, like, smell yes. the finish, but you're still so and then, far. And then you're yeah. just, like, winding through a yeah. disc golf course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's no longer there. So. Well, I was walking by that point, so I saw a lot of that. <laughs> and you still beat us. Um, but we also, so last year I went back to you and marked the same section where I oh, met yeah. you. I ended up marking that section. So it was really fun to mark, actually. Oh, yeah. Like, a and different perspective. It's super windy, and the markings are really important on that course because mm-hmm. there's so many little trails that every year we get people who are lost. Courtney, do you do a lot of volunteering with races? John was doing his pre-research and said you had volunteered for some races. Mm-hmm. I try to. I really like that part of the community. So um, for the past three years, I volunteered at Skyline at the Salvage Ascent. Oh, yeah. That is my uh... most favorite aid station in all of the universe tell the listeners where that aid station it's is. the highest aid station in maybe the world actually it's at thirteen thousand feet oh, in the wow. Intero saddle it's definitely the highest aid station in north america is it higher than um the canteen on hard rock course mm-hmm. okay yeah. Um, so we take the road up to Entero Saddle, like this four by four road. It's really treacherous. I close my eyes every time. Obviously I'm not driving. I'm usually like in the passenger with my eyes closed with like maybe a finger that I'm peering through because the view is gorgeous, but it's terrifying. There's a bit, some big drop offs on the side of the road for sure. Oh my God. It's like not a hard road. I think to traverse, it's just the exposure. It's what makes it treacherous. So, um, yeah, so that's my favorite place to volunteer. And then, you know, just if I have time, I love to, like, mark courses. I've marked High Lonesome um, and Westline. And um, this year I volunteered at the Moab 240. So oh, wow. Just, um, I think it's a great way to just be involved if I'm not running. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Uh, obviously, listeners know I love those races as well as uh, mm-hmm. part of the direction committee on those. And yeah, it, I can't speak to how highly those races are organized and how well, how much they like support their volunteers and how like nice it is to just volunteer and see the runners. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriends and I want to do an, an aid station for High Lonesome this next year coming up. So all, like all of us together, one mm-hmm. aid station. I think it'd be so much fun. Do you know which one you want to do? I don't care mm-hmm. really. I think they should do blanks. Because uh-huh. that's an all-female aid station. That would be fun. But it would really just wherever they need us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find a spot for you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, I know very little about you. Where are you from? I'm actually from Colorado. Oh. I grew up in Denver. Oh, the that rare. A, yeah. The rare. Native. Although I think someone, some, oh, someone you just had on was from Conifer, which that's even more rare. Oh, yeah. Uh, Justin, Justin yeah. is yeah, from Conifer, right. yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm from Denver. I grew up here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I had, like, a traditional Colorado upbringing, like, hiking, backpacking, skiing, that kind of stuff. Um, Did you then, go to CU? I went to DU actually. Ah. Yeah, I tr- I actually tried to get away from Colorado. Like I, I was a skier. It. Right, I attempted. So I was a skier. So to ski in college, I could go to the East Coast or the West Coast, and I chose the East Coast mm-hmm. because I felt like maybe the schools would be better out there. But then it was so cold, and the skiing was just sheer ice. Yeah, like I skied moguls, and so like we called them death cookies. You know, they're just like chunks of ice basically and yes. I was like you know what Colorado is actually pretty rad so yeah. I ended up transferring to DU Denver Coming University back. University of Denver University, mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. have you been here ever since and I've been here ever since. Like, I mean, I've made other attempts to like, oh, I'm going to try this or try that. But I just keep coming back. And um, it's funny because I have a daughter who's 17. And she keeps saying that she's going to go to college somewhere warm. Uh-huh. And um, just recently she was like, mom, every time I visit somewhere else, I just like, I realize how amazing Colorado is. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Um, I went to college in San Diego, so if she oh. wants to go somewhere warm mm-hmm. that is also pretty rad, I highly recommend San Diego. She does have UC Santa Barbara on her list. Yes, that's different, very different from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Santa Barbara is a good Santa Barbara is a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you Definitely. both from California? No, no, just Miranda. Yeah. Then John's at East Coast. Yeah. Baltimore. Baltimore. Well, Baltimore uh, for a while, and then but I was born in Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what would you say are your favorite running accomplishments from your career? Well, let's now skip ahead. Wait, wait, like, wait. how did you become a runner? Were oh, you a yeah. runner in college? Like, what drew you to <laughs> the you, sport? Oh, it's, that is such a good question because actually I hated running. My, like, growing up, it was punishment for the sports that I did. You know, I was a skier and a lacrosse player, and so running was a to punishment. To stay in shape and, and I think type of thing, actually... Yeah. Truthfully, I didn't play lacrosse in college because I didn't want to run because I was terrified of like all of the mile testing that they did. And ah. so I just was like, you know, I just am going to focus on skiing. So Because you didn't have to run to go skiing. Because, I mean, you do a little bit of running, but not like, not like anything meaningful. Like it's like sprints, you know, it's like hit kind of. So this is like a uh, college ski team? Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Are you like rolling around on roller skis in the summer? No, no, no. I didn't do Nordic. I was a mogul skier. So it's like totally different. Okay. Just, ah. Yeah. So like the, the dry land training for that is like hit kind of like, you know, quick like sprints maybe mm-hmm. is like the worst you'd have to do for running. Mm-hmm. Maybe a mile here and there, but really nothing meaningful. And I, my family would run like the turkey trot every year. Yeah. Um, at Wash Park, actually. Okay. And that was, like, the big running thing. Like, four miles. Are you kidding? That was amazing. I was, like, so, like, wow, I ran four miles. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it was such a big endeavor. <laughs> and um, how, how much yeah. work is that uh, over the year? Are you, like, intensely doing it through, like, the fall and then, like, tailing off in the spring? Or, like, um, is, there a, is there a lot of summer work to be a college ski, mogul skier? Yeah, I mean, there is, except for also I um, I was pretty dedicated to a summer camp. I went to the same summer camp for 10 years. Mm. And so every summer I just spent them in the mountains, which probably is part of what led me ultimately to trail running. So like hiking, backpacking, that kind of thing, climbing. Mm-hmm. So in the summers I would do that. And then the fall is like dry land, conditioning. Um, but there's like a lot of like weightlifting variability in it. And then mm. skiing all through the spring. So then you came to running later in life. We're both yeah. later in life runners yes. as well. Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So when did you all start running? Uh, I started running 29 oh. uh, in grad school, at the end of grad school. Oh, yeah, exactly. I had a brief bout in my mid-20s before quitting and then coming back around 29, 30. Yeah. And then a brief bout about a, 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 a bout of running. About yes. running. Uh, I was stricken with the running. <laughs> I was stricken with the running bug. And then I got I recovered and I then recovered. fell back in. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm down deep in the hole. Uh-huh. Right. I think that's what happens. Yeah, no, I I didn't run at all. Um, and part of my story is actually I found running when my son died suddenly. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I guess in that process, like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm sure we're going to, like, get to that part of the conversation. We, but we might yeah, as well. Yeah, we may, um, like, we're there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so my son, Teddy, um, he was seven and a half, mm-hmm. and this is actually five years ago tomorrow. Oh, oh wow. wow. So we just happened to be talking about it on the eve of his passing, oh. which is just oh my gosh. actually pretty remarkable. Yeah, um, let's honor Teddy in this conversation. Yeah. So... Five years ago, um, he was seven and a half, and we were in the mountains to celebrate Thanksgiving, of course, and he had a um, respiratory virus, just like kind of a creepy cough, a cold, nothing mm-hmm. really like, mm-hmm. um, nothing really like that caused alarm, truly. I mean, he wasn't getting better, so we were going to take him to urgent care, but he went to sleep um, that night, and when I came to bed, sort of in the middle of the night, um, I found him unconscious in the bathroom, mm. and um, it was just, I mean, my whole world just stopped. Oh, my gosh. So um, it, it was really, really hard, and I realized, you know, my parents did a really great job raising me. They did everything that they could, you know, but mm-hmm. somehow I wasn't given the tools to face grief like this. I wasn't given the tools to face something like so unexpected and just it wasn't supposed to be like that, you know, like I yeah. wasn't supposed to lose my seven and a half year old kid. I don't think anybody, yeah. w- or I mean, very rarely would prepare somebody for that. Right. It's, yeah. um, 
Yeah. Like you, the tools are only there for people who have to go through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's interest. That's an interesting perspective. Um, because now I, I strive to do it differently for my girls, although mm-hmm. they have already experienced this, right? Because they lost their brother. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I do think, I do think there's so much truth to that though. Like we pick up the tools when we have to. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also experienced a death that uh, eventually brought me to running. My, my brother died fifth, 16 years ago, um, about a month ago. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like, I mean, I, I was 21 at the time. I didn't have any tools to deal with it. And, um, yeah, it took me a long time to even want to find the tools, actually. <laughs> but that's it. But um, the, those are, it's a very different situation, right, because uh, you find yourself now caring for two, two other daughters who just lost their brother, right? And... Um, you're an authority figure in their life and you are also going through this giant pain. Um, you must have had to find many tools quickly. Uh, I, I actually didn't. No? The truth is yeah. I didn't. I, I failed yeah. miserably. But that's, I mean, in, like I don't have shame about that failing. I right. had to go through what I had to go through. I, like, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't take care of them. I couldn't take care of myself. I, I didn't know how to cope. Um, and so I found myself two months later. I, like every time I would fall asleep, I would see him, you know, like things mm. like this. So I yeah. sort of had this like PTSD response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to go away to like really find some healing and treatment. Um, and so for that, I went to the desert in Arizona. And there I met someone. She was my roommate. And she was a runner and she would ask me like, do you want to go on a run? And I was like, no, I don't want to run. Like that sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, but every day she would like get up and go on a run. And I just was like, what is this thing? And she was a marathon runner and, um, something about it just like kicked off a spark inside of me, like inspired me. So one day I said, okay, fine. Like, you've worn me down enough. I will go on a run around our little, like, facility. <laughs> yeah. And that, like, started the whole thing. Seriously. Um, How far did you run on the first one? Like, the first run? Probably half a mile. Probably, like, four. About, like, right? Just sounds like, about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. It was just, like, enough to feel something. Some. Yeah. Discomfort. Some discomfort and also the thing on the other side of the discomfort that feels a little bit like freedom. Mm. I had um, an experience where I was running for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and one of the teammates, they called him your team in training, my teammates, his dad had died of um, leukemia and he said that running made him feel closer to his dad. And especially when he got into that zone where he started to feel a little bit of pain. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if you connect to that in any way. It, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think the pain for me came out of like, so like getting into ultra running sort of came out of like 
this feeling of like I've been through the most emotionally painful thing I could ever imagine for myself. Yeah. I wonder what it would feel like to choose a physical pain of like as equivalent as I could make it to see what kind of transformation happens as a result. That's sort of like the Uh. pain. And as far as Teddy, my son, when I'm running, I feel closer to him in the sense of like, I find him out there. Like he like, (laughs) I like, I hear his voice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I only do when I'm like, when I'm pushed to the brink and I'm in nature. Mm-hmm. Is like the time where like I can feel him, I can hear him. Um, I notice nature like like birds that I feel like you know he's coming to like check on me or whatever. And in my day to day life, it just time doesn't slow down enough to be aware like that. So I think that's how I sort of like feel him mm-hmm. more than more than like connecting to the pain. Right. Yeah. But I, I but like I ha- I will say in this last this last summer. I, when I was running Cocodona, I had a lot of um, respiratory issues and I did have this sense of like, I wonder if this is like how he felt. Mm. Um, ah. Yeah. So. I, um, I definitely connect with that idea of trying to experience physical pain, discomfort on a, as some sort of connection to the giant emotional pain. I remember when I was running my training to run my first 100, which was High Lonesome back in 2018, I was essentially finally dealing with my brother's death 10 years down the road. And I, I, just, I just felt like I could, if I could, that, that there was some sort of parallel where if I could push myself physically, I could push myself emotionally. To like, if I could handle extreme difficulty running, then I could handle extreme difficulty, you know, actually re-going through some of the traumas I had, some of the, the memories that I couldn't face. And I felt that like, as I trained more and harder, I, I felt breakthroughs in therapy and dealing with those memories. And, like, there was some sort of connection between extreme discomfort in both areas. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I running the 100 actually felt like the cherry on top because I had already done the hard work, right? And I had actually, like, gotten to a point where I could, like, I had achieved some of my therapy goals of dealing with my brother's death and and just, like, being able to like see two brothers hug and not cry, right? Like the little things. Um, And like, yeah, just getting to the point where I could run that 100 miles was just like, I already know I can do this because I can do everything I've done with um, my emotional pain. And so, yeah, I I don't know. 1,000%. Yes. I I think that ultra is that one of the gifts is it's, you know, I think they say like, 90% 90% of it is mental and the other 10% is mental, but actually like there's an emotional thing. It's yes. almost like 90% of it is like, it's mental, but it's, it's emotional. It's like on a heart level. And it's, and it's like, if I can, yes, push through all of these things in training to get to this place. But then when we're out there, I feel like I've learned that 
it's just about continuing to move forward. And this is the same thing with like a grief process. Oh, it's like right. it doesn't have to look perfect. Right. The point is forward progress. Just like can, just keep going. Just keep going. And that's like with grief. That's with like working through traumas. That's like with it doesn't have to look pretty. There is no perfect way to do it. You just mm-hmm. one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. That is, is so correct because really like your is. emotions will... They will go up and they will go down on their own. And you have to say, all right, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to turn off the life or turn off the the race. Like, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And um, yeah. I love this quote, which is somewhat related. Someone told me this, actually, at mile 80 last year of Cocodona. I was, like, really struggling. I think like, my electrolytes Whoa. were all off. And I kept thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I have, like, 100 and. 70 more miles to go. Oh, that is and, so much to And I was about. just like, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. You know, and I think at every race, I get to a point like this of like, I'm not sure if this is going to be like the Which day. is natural. Right. And someone said to me, because I call, you know, I did a dial for help. And someone said, okay, you have two choices. You can quit or keep going. And both hurt. Ah. And that just like, I tell myself that daily. Because I feel like sometimes in life, we also get that sensation, that feeling, that drive to hit the like eject button, to hit the like quit button. And it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, that's an option. It's always an option. But just like, if you just keep going on the other side is like so much freedom and just everything that you're like enduring right now, there is a purpose if you just hang in there. <laughs> I love that. I, I often think about, I mean, just physically, uh, that how much pain I'm in when I stop after an ultra run, like it just the, the, whether it's cramping or just being completely uncomfortable, like having to sit in a car, it's just like, Oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. I kind of wish I was moving right now. Right. Like, uh, and so I often think about that when I'm thinking about quitting, I'm just like, it's not it's not nice after you quit. Like no, you're right. Your, yeah. your body right. doesn't exactly. suddenly like be like, oh, we feel like we're laying in a feather uh-huh. uh, like no. bed. No, you you are experiencing the pain of everything you've just gone through, plus the emotional pain of having quit. And so it it's not you know we 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 romanticize it. Our brain romanticizes quitting. It does it on its own, mm-hmm. but it, it's actually not that fun mm-hmm. or easy or pain free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think like. It applies to these feelings, like tough emotions too, like grief. We romanticize if we could just make it easy, if it just didn't exist. And I feel like every time I push something away and try not to face it, it comes back five times harder, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the only way through it is truly just to like go through it. And the other thing I'll say about that too is like, I think, um, and maybe this is your experience with mm. grief. I'm guessing everybody has experienced grief. So yeah, um, it's like I've started to view grief as like it's not a feeling. It's actually a force. Because for me, it comes often when I'm not expecting it. Often I have no awareness of it being around. And it comes and it like greets me. And it stays as long as it wants. And I just have to like sit with it and allow it to exist like this like other being. Um, whereas like my feelings come and go more frequently, like 
sadness or anger or whatever feeling can exist inside grief, but it'll come like this force and I just have to sort of like be in it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and allow it to be with me. And I don't necessarily think that that like translates into races, but I will say like, there is this notion of like, we hit a wall, right? In races, like you hit a wall, but you can keep going. Like you can't, like the wall is there and you just kind of like, I, I feel like sometimes if I just respect that it's there yeah. and just allow whatever feeling exists, then I can like slowly make my way through it. Definitely. Yeah. The, yeah. The feeling of hitting that wall and just being like, this is where I'm at mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to work through this and it will take as long as it takes. Um, and also to what you said about grief, I, I also feel like, yeah, it, it's just there when it wants to be there mm-hmm. and uh, fighting it is not productive, nor is it, I mean, at least for me, where I want to be with my emotions. Like mm-hmm. I want my brother's memory to pop up in my head randomly. I don't want to ever forget Sam and who he was. And I feel like if I banished those moments, then I would be banishing him. So uh, I, yeah, like a force is a good metaphor I think mm-hmm. um, like a sometimes just like a ghost right just there he's sitting next to you and then he's not mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I like that I like it too so uh, I guess I'm wondering how you went from half a mile to 250 <laughs> miles oh, yeah, yeah uh, we did jump ahead yeah, in our yeah, conversation um, yeah did so that what, happen just like overnight what, or <laughs> Well, I mean, actually, almost. Yeah. Um, I went from that to a few months later, just realizing, like, oh, this thing, like a marathon, that seems really far, but kind of interesting. I'm curious about, like, what would it feel like to run 26 miles? Wow, that's, you know. So I decided to train for a marathon that same year. Okay. Um, so couch to marathon plan, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, because why not? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. YOLO. You got nothing yeah. to lose. It's like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna do this. Um, and I think somewhere along that way, along the way, I kind of was introduced to ultra running somehow, maybe via like social media or something. And also I had this curiosity of like, oh, you, you can like translate this to the trail. That's yeah. so cool. It's so like like spend time in the mountains and run. Okay. Um, and Sign me up. Someone suggested, actually, they're like, well, if you're interested in the world of ultra running, you should volunteer at like a hundred mile race. And somebody That's I good knew, yeah. right, exactly. And somebody I knew happened to know High Lonesome. So okay. they said, well, if you're going to volunteer at a race, you need to volunteer at High Lonesome. And so I ended up volunteering at the Intero station for High Lonesome. Um, Which is very close to where Skyline is on Sawatch Ascent, but a little bit farther down. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's it was about mile. It's about mile eighteen, right? Yep. Okay. So no zombies yet. No zombies yet. Oh, you'd be but, surprised. Right. But you, <laughs> but they have gone up and over the Ontario ah. saddle. So like they, they're like, altitude sick. They're only seventeen miles in, but they're already altitude sick and uh, really slow. And how much climbing has gone? It's on? about five thousand feet of climbing in the first. Woof. Yeah. 20 miles or so. Okay. So we go out there in, um, 
in like a four by four on like I hadn't been on this road before so like at night to like set up camp the night before and I was like what mm-hmm. is going on like I was just this is, it was like wild wait this is your first experience with any ultra run yes <laughs> <laughs> you're like wait wait where are we going yes and I thankfully I like the Asian captain knew like the road really well had like a great truck so like everything was really great what year was um, this this was 2019 19 yeah. okay mm-hmm. um and so i was there at that aid station and as the runners came in at mile 18 i just remember thinking like oh my gosh they still have to run 82 miles yeah yeah. yeah, this is so crazy. These people are so insane. I was like, I'm not sure that I ever want to do this. This just looks so crazy. But Perfectly also, normal reaction. Right? <laughs> I mean, glad I, to see, I, I'm I glad to like, see you have some, you know, normal reactions to seeing this stuff. I mean, I just couldn't believe that, like, you just almost climbed a mountain. And now you're going to be doing this for 82 more miles. Yeah. Yeah, that's just breakfast. Like, and Tarot is just breakfast at Highland. So, so, and it just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. But I also was so inspired by their grit and tenacity and their like yeah. enthusiasm and positivity and just like I just thought it was so cool. So then I decided that I was going to qualify for the lottery for Highland. So. Oh my gosh. And so my next race, I ran a marathon, and then I ran a 100K. I ran Havelina 100K. Oh, Havelina, yeah. Yeah, just so I could, like, just squeeze it in enough to get into the lottery. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I ran that race, and then I got in the lottery, and then I I did get into High Lonesome, but but it was the year of COVID. So then everything was canceled. And some, at some point during that, I did like a running retreat with women and oh. one of the women I met in that retreat, this was that, that was like how I learned like about trail running. Cause I was so intimidated. I was like, I don't even know, like, how do you like start trail running? So that seemed like a good way to just like mm-hmm. meet other women and figure out how to like do this thing. Was this in Colorado? Running. It was in Boulder. It was in Boulder. Trail Sisters. Yeah. Oh, the Trail oh. Sisters group. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh-huh. It was cool. Um, and so it was up at the A-Lodge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Up in the canyon. Uh Uh-huh. So we ran, like, Bear Mountain, like, a bunch of those. Yeah, it was great. Um, And it was a really good introduction because it's, like, no, it was no drop, so there was no pressure and, like, all different, you know, paces, and so that was really nice. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And then um, I I don't know if you find this, but I love running with women. Something about like being in the mountains with some strong, badass women is so bonding and special. It is so bonding. It's one of my favorite things too. Really? (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think um, actually my coach just told me the other day, she was like, when you find women who run, they're gold. Yes. I am with your coach. Yeah, I agree. And um, after that, she was like, hey, Courtney, after you run High Lonesome, maybe you would consider there's this new race in Arizona. It's a 250-mile race, and you're the only person who I know is crazy enough to maybe sign up for this. (laughs) (laughs) So I signed up for that race thinking, oh, well, I'll have done High Lonesome. 
And then I was like, oh, it'll so be you fine. signed up before you had completed 100 miles. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this 200 miler after. I'm just, this is just, just naturally, you know, yeah, ramping like, up. I, I honestly, like, don't know how the timing was. But the yeah. weird thing is, is like, yeah, it seemed like a natural progression at the time. Like, yeah, I'll do 100. And then, like, sure, why not? Like, just try 200. Uh-huh. But that's, how, that's how that goes. It, right, exactly. Like, you're in it. You might yeah. as well, like, go deep. Sure. Do the hardest thing <laughs> you can. All, go all in. And um, then High Lonesome was canceled that year. Yeah. So the only, the next race I did was Cocodona. Oh. So Cocodona was your first 100-mile-plus race. And that's a, wow. For the listeners, if anybody's not aware, it's a 250-mile race in the Arizona desert from Black Canyon City to uh, Flagstaff. Correct. Yeah. Point to point. Across many cool towns. Wow. So, Cocodona. And this is the one where mile 80, you're like, oh, this kind of is rough. Well, that was last year. The oh. first. So, I did it the first year, um, which was, I guess, 2021. Okay. was the first year, and then we just had the third year. So, the first so you year. you went back and did it again. Three times. I, yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> I have done it three times. Yeah. Okay. So, you like it. I love that race. Why do you love Cocodona? Okay, well, the first year I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the good news is we have time to figure this out. You know, you have five days to finish the race. So, okay, we're just going to like go for it. And my girlfriend before this, it's funny, she was like, Courtney, you realize Cocodona is not a stage race, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like 50 miles a day and you get to sleep. And, the, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I have no idea. I'll just figure it out so thankfully two girlfriends showed up to crew me and we none of us knew what we were doing we were just like crew's kind of important at that race yeah oh very important yeah i think so yeah um there are a lot of people who do it by themselves and with drop bags um but i think most the majority do have crew that's true (laughs) yeah so um so we just sort of figured it out i think that race is so special to me. For one, it, the course is just so gorgeous. And this experience of like going from Black Canyon City and the Suaro and then the desert all the way up into Flagstaff and the mountains mm-hmm. through these little towns. It's just like this incredible experience in Arizona. You can just see the whole state. And also like for me, as I mentioned, I went to treatment after Teddy died in Arizona. Yeah. So it was a really special thing oh. for me to go back there. Like mm. a reminder yeah. of or where return. you began your healing. Exactly. And how you began your healing mm. with the running. And to go yeah. through, like, I was there originally. I remember when I was sent there <laughs> after Teddy died. I was like, you're sending me where? To Arizona? I'm like, that's the place that has those really cheesy license plates that, like, have those... It has, like, the sunset on them. (laughs) I just remember being so annoyed. Like, surely it's not like that. I hadn't ever really spent time there. And was it your family that was like, we want you to go to this treatment? And was it, like, your parents or your husband? It was my best friend. Oh, your best friend? Yeah. What a good friend. Yeah, she, she just, she saw that, like, look, we need to help you. Yeah. So, um, so it's a gift that like I, it's one of the best gifts I've ever been given. That, what an amazing friend. Yeah. To go back there and run this race. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember at like mile 200 or something, we were cha- I was cha- running away from cutoffs, like chasing cutoffs because I had no idea what I was doing. And I was trying to sleep yeah. as much as possible. So I actually like slept 15 hours the first time I did it. Over five days. Over five days, which it is a lot. doesn't sound that good, but... It's a lot. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a, a overnight runner. No, I mean, nights are so hard. And that's a lot of sleep for that race. Okay. And um, so I was, like, chasing cutoffs, and my friend, she was like, Courtney, this is, like, mile 200. We're in Sedona. And she's like, you need to dig deep. Like, this is the time you need to dig deep. Come on, we could do this. And I was like, we're at mile 160. Like, what do you think I've been doing for the past 160 miles? Yeah, you're like, I've been digging deep uh, for a while. Like, we've got to go. But it was so crazy because somehow, you know, this happens. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. You, like, yeah. you like, the sun hits you and you're like, okay, I felt like terrible a minute ago and now let's run you get the 17th wind the 17th wind the 20th wind and so then i all of a sudden was like okay we're gonna run and that's i heard teddy teddy said to me you know and here i am like in the desert feeling all these feels that are so parallel to the feels i had Mm -hmm. when i was there the first time yeah and i just hear his little voice say mom you have everything you need inside you like you like because I kind of was feeling like I was out there trying to find him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, he, but I like heard him say, like, you don't need me to do this. Like, you've got it. Just go. And um, so that was like really, really special. Um, and I think just part of why that race, that's part of why I go back every year, I guess, is like this special connection to that place. Mm-hmm. And... It's just a really great community. I mean, you know, like... Yeah, a good community is worth keeping, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you find Teddy every time so far? It's... What's also interesting, and maybe you found this with your grief, is someone told me early on, like, um, I met this woman who had lost a child, mm-hmm. and she had lost her child, like, 20 years prior. And so mm-hmm. I was like gosh, like, tell me about your experience. And yeah. she's like, she's like, I don't feel it like I used to. You know, like, you become sort of, like, numb to it, she mm-hmm. sort of said. And I was like, gosh, I sort of hope that I never become numb, right? Yeah. But I will say, it's like, it's like when you have an injury and it hurts so much in the beginning and then it just, like, the pain is, like, dulled a little. So I think with Teddy, I don't see or hear him as much as I used to. Um, but when I, but when I like am quiet enough, kind of, and I think like part of that is, I feel like he's been able to move on too. Mm -hmm. And there's some freedom in that. I think it's, it's not necessarily a sad thing. Yeah. There definitely is a time effect to grief. It's, I don't know if I would use the word dull right. uh, for my grief. I would use the word just, oh, geez, we're going to turn off all those notifications. Um, I would just say that the, the bouts of grief are less intense and more far between. Mm-hmm. But I now find it's more special when it comes, like I value it. Um, those times when I'm thinking about Sam and I remember some affectation he had or uh some experience we had together 
And I think that because it's less often, it's, it's just more valuable rather than, you know, I think at first it's a, it's a little inconvenient at times. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and as it spaces out, it becomes more special. Mm. I think that is such an important point about like it's being special because at some point I did learn that like the depth of my grief is really um, symbolic of how much I loved him. It's like, yeah. it's like a parallel. So mm-hmm. the grief is basically equivalent to love. My favorite kitschy grief quote is uh, grief is just love without anywhere to go. Oh, that's <laughs> so nice. It's, it's the, the amount of love you have and you just got nowhere to put it anymore. Yeah. And that can feel overwhelming. So you put it into running. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's where I like to put things. Yeah. <laughs> Any excess emotion goes into running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has your relationship with running evolved as your grief has evolved? Um, yes. I think I originally started running as like a way to escape a little bit. Yeah. Just like kind of like run away from it. I mean... <laughs> Um, but now it's, I don't know, I guess, and no one's ever asked me this, um, but I guess it's like become part of who I am, just sort of like my grief has. Oh, your grief. so like, not in like a, not in like a sad, morbid way. Right. It's just like, it's just like a part of my story. Just like running is sort of a part of my story now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't choose running to like escape my feelings. I choose running as like a celebration almost of my feelings, if that makes sense. Um, That makes a lot of sense. Like I've never articulated like that, but Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of how it is. Um, And also just like proving maybe to myself that like I can endure all these feelings because they happen in running like they do in life, truly. Yeah. Like an ultra is basically a lifetime condensed into like, 24, 48 hours. Maybe just five days. Five days. Truly, right? Like, you experience every emotion, every pain, like, all the Mm -hmm. different things that we go through is, like, happens in life. And so I think, like, now I see running as, like, a choice to walk through something hard versus, like, a tool to escape something hard. Did you have a point in your running where you couldn't make it harder anymore like I mean going to 250 miles is is definitely an investment in difficulty and uh, later in your career you you managed to do four 200 milers in a single year congratulations the grand slam of ultra running previously the the record as the only woman who ever did it until Sally McRae did it this year right that's true Okay, well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, after, I wonder, I had this experience. That's why I'm asking this question. Did you have an experience where you were like, yeah. uh, well, I can't make it, like, making this more harder is not a viable way to, you know, keep moving in my life. Like, I went, mm-hmm. I went uh, marathon, 50-miler, 100-miler in consecutive years, nice exponential growth, just double the distance. Then I went to do Barkley-style stuff, and I was like, let's make it harder. Let's make it harder. And then eventually I came to the point where I was like, oh, my gosh, I probably should stop trying to make everything harder and just maybe focus on doing it well or, 
or recontextualize how I think about these things. Did you experience something like that? I love this word recontextualize. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from my vernacular. Um, I, well, I have never done a Barclay style well, sure. and I have never done a last man standing style. Mm. Um, so these are areas where I feel like that could still be harder than mm-hmm. what I've done. So, but I will say, um, I feel like I'm not like searching out the harder thing now. Now mm-hmm. it's like, what, where could I dig deeper in some area of running um, to make the experience like maybe richer for myself. So yeah. like, like adding another skill or just a different element. It's not about going yeah. harder, faster, further. It's like, just like how to see it or feel it, experience it differently. I have loved that about coming to Boulder and trail running that I'm 41 and I'm still finding these little elements where I'm having seen gains, whether it's downhill technical running or running in the snow or altitude running or all these little elements where there's still areas for improvement. Yeah, it's. I think that that's one of the things about running that's so interesting is like yeah. all you're doing is moving forward, but all of these little things can make such a difference or change the way you experience it. And I guess it's sort of like life. Like, it's pretty simple, but it's also, like, really complicated. Um, and that's, like, how running is. So I think that that is so true. So for me now, you know, like, I really want to go and experience some of the same races, but do them differently. Yeah. Because I think that's one thing, too, is, like, maybe it's not about, like, it's not, like, there are, some of these races are just so hard that, like, They'll always be hard. It'll always feel really hard. I mean, yeah, anything, anything in the hundred mile plus distance is, it's going to be hard anytime you start. It doesn't matter how fit you are or where your mentality is. It is going to be difficult. So and, difficult. And yeah, just coming to that start line in a different place, uh, you know, you're going to have a different race mm-hmm. and, a, and a different experience. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, also part of it is learning to let go of expectations. That's, like, mm-hmm. been a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I show up and just, like, show up for the experience of whatever is going to unfold, I tend to enjoy myself and, like, have a way better experience. And, like, it seems pretty, like, duh, of course, you know. But it's so easy to like somehow have these like subtle expectations of ourselves. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm John is so relating 100%. now. 100%. Yes. I only do well in my B races. <laughs> right. I mean, right? Yes. Isn't it so interesting? Because even though like we know this, like we, like I understand that if I have expectations of myself or I like, ha- like I'm striving for this thing, it's going to backfire. But yet we do it over and over. Every ourselves. single time. Yep. Don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not I'm, me as much, but. No. I think it's, I mean, at least for me, it's like some sort of, I don't know. I just want to prove I'm doing well. I want to prove I'm doing good to myself. And like, mm. you know, if I meet this goal, then I'm doing good, you know? Yeah. And it turns out that I'm just doing good by, by stepping up to that start line and being there. And, uh, but pressure that I put on myself often backfires and gives me a lot of anxiety. And then that anxiety 
turns into poor performance. And isn't it funny yeah. that we put this pressure? I think about this a lot because we put pressure on ourselves. And like, no one's paying attention but us. No, exactly. No. You know? my, my, my parents don't care. I mean, Dad, I know you're listening. I know you love me. But you don't care. <laughs> when I say you don't care, I mean that you don't care about whether I finish a race or not. Mm-hmm. Miranda just wants to support me. Yeah, it's, the only person who cares is me. Mm-hmm. The only person who cares is you about like what you're doing. Why, why is there so much pressure? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting topic, actually. Yeah. The pressure. The pressure. We put on ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, put it on the list for a future pod. Yeah. Type it up. <laughs> well, and I think this also applies to grief because I'll say um, I sometimes have put pressure on myself. Like early on, it's easy to take time and space for to grieve. Right. But, you know, the further along you get from uh, like losing someone or any sort of grief, um, it seems unacceptable to spend time grieving for long periods. And yeah, isn't that a strange thing about our culture? And I think after a year, people stop asking as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's norm. It's not their fault. They're just taught that way. We really don't talk. I feel no. like we don't talk about no. grief very much in there. It's like, um, we just. It's like. It's like feels like a pat on the back. Like okay, they're there. You're you're good yeah. now. Right. You're it's, good. It's now. been a year. You're good. It's done. It's yeah. done. Are you over it? But are you over it? I know. Gosh, if someone asked me that, I don't know how I'd react. Um, this is but, why I love. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, this is why I love Dia de Muertos, the Mexican holiday, mm-hmm. uh, Day of the Dead, so much because it's an actual like it's a time where you think about your your dead loved ones. Like you literally get to spend the day with your dead loved ones, and it's like a holiday about that. I love that holiday. Uh, I wish wish more people celebrated it here, but um, I love the idea of it, the idea that I get to spend time with my brother or um, whatever whoever it is that you're missing in your life. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it is beautiful. Um, in some cultures, you know, like for Halloween too, um, they'll like invite in the dead for like a meal, um, somewhat similar to the other. Yeah, pretty similar. Like, just like invite them in to share a meal, and yeah, um, it's pretty special. I think um, we actually in my house, we have a like corner of our. Um, living room that has pictures of our relatives who have passed and it's funny because my daughter is like mom we have this weird shrine in our room but in our and I'm like I kind (laughs) of chuckle about it but like I do feel like it's important to remember um these like close relatives who have gone and um and so you know just like it's a daily reminder um I actually was talking to a friend yesterday about like as morbid as this is it's like you know, when we, when we die, like no one will remember us, right? Like eventually, uh, eventually. Right. Yeah. And so the value of just like what we give to the greater good right now, you know? And I think just back to that little corner is like, this is my way of like remembering these Mm -hmm. people as long as possible and what they contributed to my life. Um, and to the life of like my family members. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do also really appreciate the notion of like, we will be forgotten, so, like, you know. Value the time we got. Exactly. And value who you're remembering, right? And yeah. try to remember them well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, And um. run all the miles while you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great way to remember them, uh-huh. right? Yeah. You know, get to see them out there, get to slow the mind down mm-hmm. and take time to 
push through something hard. Um, yeah, I love running. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is great. I, I will say it's interesting because you asked how like running has evolved. Yeah. Because um, it came with your grief. Like it was running and grief were one and the same at one point mm-hmm. in your life and grief evolves. And so I was really curious what the relationship of, of the two were. Yeah, what is so interesting is like then running becomes like a very practical part of my life of like this is kind of something that I just do. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. But then I end up in a place where like it there's pressure around it because now it's sort of part of my identity. So yep. then I sort of have put pressure on myself around it. And actually this year I've sort of come back to the place of like I want I would love for it to become this way to sort of reconnect mm. to my grief almost. Uh-huh. You know, five years, five feels like important for some reason of like, I kind of want to go back to the beginning. It's because we got five fingers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like five or seven. I think seven is like the, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like going back to sort of the beginning to like reconnect of like why I started this whole thing in the first place instead of like it just becoming this thing where I'm like constantly striving to do more and be faster or whatever. Um, instead right. like reconnect to like, the feeling part of it. And what are you going to do to reconnect? What actions are you going to take to reconnect? That's a really great question. Um, well, I'm, I don't know the answer actually. Okay. I think I'm planning to do some races. I don't think that that's like the answer of like how I'm going to reconnect though. Truthfully. Mm. Yeah. I just feel like races for me are like a great way to like draw a line in the sand of something to like work towards. Right. You know, like a reason to get up and train, especially in the snow and in the winter. Oh yes. Agreed. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think part of it is a willingness to like let go And I think that that is, like, not necessarily something I can do in, like, running itself, but in, like, my own personal work around running and, like, with myself. Um, I'm trying to be gentler on myself about it. Like, if I don't want to run a day, like, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. That kind of thing. We have a good episode on exercise dependency Uh, where we we discover that both of us have exercise dependency. (laughs) We have uh, some amount of guilt. That that guilt. Right. And isn't it okay to just go on a walk from time to time? Or to, like, curl up with a glass of wine in front of the Mm -hmm. fire and Mm -hmm. snowing outside. Let's. Not not run today. It'll be warmer tomorrow in Colorado. So <laughs> this is basically the whole reason I have a coach. Right. To like Yeah. You know, so that I can actually like ask somebody if it's okay. Right. Exactly. To like to it's like, like can oh. you please validate me? Yes. <laughs> like I, I'm paying you so that I don't have anxiety when I decide the one day out of these three months that I'm not gonna run. <laughs> hey, but didn't you learn from Justin that like you have to do that too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh-huh. Yeah. I. You know, I don't think I'm overtraining right, right now, but but yeah, burnout's totally real, and uh-huh. I definitely don't respect it as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Something to work on. For sure. Yeah. And I do think actually the I they talk about this all the time. They being the gurus of running. Um, like the importance of recovery and rest and that's like yes. how we get stronger and faster and stuff. Um, 
I do think, and probably this is talked about a lot, it's like we live in this culture of like more is better, of course. And Especially in ultra running right yeah. now, more is, is yeah. validated to be better a we lot. We just had, I just had this conversation with someone on the trails, how I don't want to contribute to that mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. glorification of yeah. overdoing it, overtraining running well this has been brought up recently with the with the max Bert october right mm-hmm. yeah so it's been in the news right like okay all right i guess now now that we brought it up i have to tell listeners about this uh <laughs> max Bert october is a cirque series virtual event where people try to get the most vertical gain in their foot-based travel that they can in the month of october and it has basically turned into if you li- if you want to do well you have to go train or do all your vert on the incline, which is a one mile up route in Manitou Springs, Colorado, where the top nine participants in Max Vert October all were on the incline every day for the entire month. Um, we know a yeah. couple people, uh, mm-hmm. John Clark, Laura, Kaplan, who are out there, and it's it's been a it's almost like it's very obsessive, right? And uh, I, that's why it's kind of come up in the mm-hmm. recent discussions, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just uh, moving away from like uh, contributing to that conversation in our sport that mm-hmm. like um, the more you do is healthier and better and and just um, yeah, I, I more is better. That, that more is better conversation. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I was always, you know, when I came into the sport, I think that I thought more was better and I think that that's part of how we talk about the sport. I mean, it is ultra running. Ultra is... Uh, Latin for beyond, right? It is, we are ultra marathons or beyond marathons, right? We are going more and there's no upper bound to the definition of ultra marathons. It is, it is 26.3 miles and up. And that up can go really, really far. I don't necessarily want to tell people that I think running a lot is bad. I just want to maybe not say that running a lot is the only way to exist in this sport. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to and say it. And I think, it. like, it's so individual. I feel like yeah. that's mm-hmm. really where I've kind of landed for myself is that I have to really, truly look, like, look in the mirror and also, like, be true to myself and what my body needs. You know, I did run four 200s in a year, so that seems a little excessive. Um mm-hmm. At the end of it, I really had to rethink what's possible. Like, I really didn't think that was possible. Wow. And so it did have me reframing, like, what I could accomplish yeah. in a certain way. But also since then, I've had to sort of reconcile of, like, okay, that is not sustainable mm-hmm. you know, for me. So what yeah. can I do for myself that will feel as fulfilling? Because that really did show me a side of myself that I never knew existed. Like I did not think that was ever possible. And to do that and now like, okay, that's probably not possible for me again, but like what are other ways that I can push myself to not just like, not just like beyond the limits maybe physically, but just to like show myself a part, a different part of myself. And like, I can't, I really, like, I can't train, like, a lot of my friends, a lot of the people I see on social media or Strava or whatever. Like, I just fall apart. And I fall apart physically and I fall apart emotionally. 
And then I start beating myself up, you know? So I've really like, part of this is like, how do I redefine it for myself in a different way of like, more is not more, like making it more meaningful. Yes. Um, I love like that. Like quality over quantity sort of. Yeah. Is kind of the thing. Um, and it's hard though, because like you see your friends out there mm-hmm. and they're like doing like, and you're like, oh my gosh, I only ran 20 miles this week and they ran like 60 and like it that's is. Human the nature. FOMO it is. is real. I stay off of Strava. I'm not a big Strava scroller. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not either. I use Strava to track things, but I don't really like scrolling it. It's not a, gives yeah. me too much FOMO. Well, and yep. I think part of the podcast name, right, is like the social dynamics. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, we have this amazing running community that like, that's what, I mean, that's part of the magic of ultra running is it's like a yes. really special community, right? And then there's like these other sides of it where like by nature of being an ultra runner, you have to have some competitive, like little ounce in you sure. or else you couldn't keep going, right? It's at least a competitiveness with yourself. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. And so then, like, when that comes into, like, the social dynamics piece, it, like, can get kind of tricky. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, a little bit of jealousy with other folks. I know I know, we're near the end of time. Yeah. But uh, I have one quick question. Okay. In your uh, Grand Slam of Ultra 200 milers, mm-hmm. your last one was really good. Was it? So why do you think that was? Or, or what was it? Why, why was that day? Why would the that day that series of days um yeah yeah. one would think the last one would be the worst i mean after it it was far and away the best result of the four that's amazing so it was roughly 20 hours faster than the previous one and 30 miles more oh my god um (laughs) i went from fourth to last to the fourth place female. Wow. wow. The, um, we've talked about a lot of the things I think that made the difference, mm-hmm. truly. Uh, one was I reframed the whole race for myself. Instead of looking at cutoffs, I didn't even know the cutoffs. I had goal times. And so I was running towards a time instead of away from a cutoff. Ah. Like, and, I, and we would like joke, like the Grim Reaper is like in your, behind you, like, you know, mm-hmm. the cutoff time. But instead of that, I just was like... I was like, if we can run, if I can run away from cutoffs, like if I, if I know that time is like on me, I am able to run. So what if I like did that on the front end instead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. So recontextualize. Recontextualizing. Yeah. Exactly. Such a good, <laughs> such a good word. Um, so there was that piece. And the other one was, I was so excited to go back to the desert because it felt like a full circle experience. From Cocodona. And then the other two, and then into Moab 240. Exactly. Uh, so it's Cocodona, Tahoe, then Bigfoot, which is in Washington, yep. and then Moab. And so that felt really special um, to do that. And um, and I just, like, I wanted to go back. The other races, yeah. like, I felt like I had to. And this one, like, I was excited. I was excited to go out there and have five days to just, like, be on my feet and close this chapter and something about that like there was no point in that race where I wanted to stop wow and that's never happened I just it was like I didn't have expectations except for trying to like meet these goals 
but there was no pressure on myself otherwise. Wow. That's beautiful. That's amazing. It was really special. Um, Gotta love a well-executed race. Yeah. I will say it's really hard to execute all the parts of a five-day race or <laughs> four or five-day race. So that was 80 hours. There was one segment that was really grueling and just like not well-executed. But you have a little bit of like give when you're out there for that long. So you can like, make up the difference. Okay, well, we're, we're reaching time, yes. and you have given a lot of advice during this podcast, if anyone was listening, to pick it up, but we like to ask our guests at the end of the podcast if you have any advice you would like to give our listeners. Um, this can be related to running or grief um, or any life experience, really. It's funny I knew you were gonna ask this and I didn't even like plan to give some good advice (laughs) (laughs) um advice okay the the truth about running I think that I'll just give running advice is like Mm -hmm. we often or I at least you know I didn't have anything to lose because I think of my grief like I didn't have anything to lose, so yeah. I was, like, willing to take risks and be, like, okay, what could a, who cares if I fail? What about a marathon? Who cares if I fail? And I think, like, nothing is impossible is sort of the, like, that's the advice is, like, if, if you're inspired to do something, just, like, go for it. I love that. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And also, I would say, in an ultra, the best advice someone gave me is to set a timer to eat. And so literally my watch goes off every 45 minutes and it's the best reminder. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for that advice and for joining us here today, Courtney. This was a wonderful interview. I really appreciate you coming up here to Boulder. And uh, And thanks so much for your vulnerability as well. Yeah. Yeah. Giving your emotions, your vulnerability. It was wonderful. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks you guys so much for having me and what a great way to celebrate time.